that I was just as we were listening to that passage from the gospel it struck me how that translation was worded the Pharisee was praying about himself it's okay to pray for ourselves God knows we have needs but this idea of he was praying about himself instead of praying about God or praying about somebody else it's important to have the right focus So let's begin with prayer. Lord, today, let not today just be about me, about us. Our worship is about you. Our meditation on your word is about you. It's through how we see you that we are transformed. and that other lives are transformed. So we ask that your spirit rest on us this morning. Open up our hearts and our minds and our ears. And we ask this in your name. Amen. been reading on the news uh, over the last couple of weeks about... Uh, Meghan Markle, prince, the princess or duchess, I'm not sure her exact title. I never really followed royals in Britain. It wasn't very important to me, but it's interesting now it's more in the news because she's American. And so now uh, we see more of British royals in our news. And what came up is she, she gave a very candid interview about um, how how mentally and how her family has has been hurt by the British papers, their tabloids. Um, when she first started dating Prince Harry, her friends told her, oh, they were very happy for her. So that, they were so glad that she found somebody that she loved and, and all this kind of stuff. But they said, you might not want to date him because the tabloids are going to tear you apart. And she thought she could handle it. She said she wanted to take kind of the British attitude of keeping a stiff upper lip. But she says, these tabloids don't just affect me, it's affecting our whole family. And it's, so this, this, this one, this one thing affects just not her, but the group. And maybe you've experienced that in your own life, or in your family life, or church life, where one person does something negative and it affects the whole. But it also works in reverse. One person doing something positive can also affect the whole. A 2004 paper in the Journal of uh, Personality and Social Psychology suggests that just watching or reading someone striving toward a goal can make other people start to adopt that goal as well. That's why it's important when, like if you go to college, who you hang out with. There are people there who are just messing around, and there are people there who are there to study, There are people there to do sports. But the idea of if we align ourselves with people who have goals, 
that align with the goals that might, we might have, that, rub, that positivity rubs off as well. And today we're going to look at baptism. We're going to be in Acts chapter 1, if you want to uh, turn your Bibles there. Acts chapter 1 and 2. And we're going to look at baptism in a different way. Usually when I preach on baptism, we talk about baptism as an individual act. A person gets baptized. And it is an individual act. People get baptized one at a time. Even in the New Testament, when it says he and his whole family were baptized, it wasn't like, it's still people. But today I want to look at what it means to the whole congregation, what it means to the whole church when the baptism of one individual happens. So let's start with Jesus. Matthew twenty eight, nineteen through twenty. It'll be up on the on the screen. Jesus said to his disciples after his resurrection, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you, and remember I am with you always to the end of the age. And later he would say in Acts one eight says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So with baptism, it doesn't start with us or the individual. Actually, it starts with Jesus. Baptism is part of the command of Jesus for us to go and make disciples. And the command doesn't begin with me, the, the command begins with the promise of Jesus that, that I'll be his witness and you will be his witnesses and that he'll be with us and that he will empower us with the Holy Spirit for the work. So the first step in baptisms is, is Jesus. It's the promise of Jesus that we can do it and he will empower us. And then let's get into Acts. Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14. It says, then they, and this is talking about the disciples, returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they arrived, they went to the room upstairs where they were staying. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. They were all continually united in prayer along with the women, including Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So now Jesus has ascended to heaven. He's left them with this promise. And he's part of the promise is, you're going to be my witnesses. You are going to baptize people and teach them to observe all things. And the first thing they go do is they go pray. Baptisms means... Baptisms mean the church is praying. Baptisms mean the church is praying. The disciples have the command, the promise. They all gather together in Jerusalem. The 11 remaining apostles that were taught by Jesus himself are there. They're all listed. And it says the women. The women were also taught by Jesus. Men and women were praying. Jesus' mother is specifically called out, the first disciple. 
is there praying. And also, the names of Jesus' brothers are listed there. They're the last disciples. They didn't believe till after the resurrection. So everybody's there. Men are praying. Women are praying. People who have been disciples for a long time. People who just became disciples a couple days ago. They're all there. The whole church is praying. It says they were continually united in prayer. It means that they were, they were steadfast. They, Jesus, uh, the, the scripture tells us that Jesus ministered to the disciples for 40 days after the resurrection. And we know that the Holy Spirit would come on the day of Pentecost, which is 50 days after that. So they had been praying together steadfastly for 10 days with one passion. They were probably, we don't know exactly what they were praying. We don't have their prayers written down. But they were probably praying for the fulfillment of the promise that they had been given. Jesus said, you're going to be filled with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So they went back and they are praying for that. And they're taking steps along with that because they choose another apostle to ensure that they're ready. The Holy Spirit's coming. We're supposed to have 12 apostles. Let's choose another apostle. We want to be ready. We're praying. There's an old story about the preacher F.B. F. B. Meyer. He was on an ocean liner, and at the captain's request, he was asked to speak to the first-class passengers on answered prayer. And so he preached to the first-class passenger. There happened to be a man who was agnostic at this service. Now, an agnostic person doesn't not believe in God. They just believe you can't prove whether or not there's a God or not. But he listened. And afterwards, he was asked, what did you think of Dr. Meyer's sermon? He said, I don't believe a word of it. But that afternoon, F.B. Meyer was supposed to preach to the not first-class passengers. And this agnostic had decided to go hear what this babbler had to say again. And before starting for the service, the agnostic from first class, he happened to grab two oranges, stuck them in his pockets. And as he was going to where the preaching was going to be happening, he noticed there was an old lady in a deck chair asleep. And she was just out and her arms were up like this. And he thought it would be funny to take his two oranges and put one in each of her hands. So she sat there and she'd have these two orange orbs you know, in her hands. And I could get that. That sounds kind of funny to me, too. So he drops these two oranges in her hands. And then he goes and listens to the sermon. When he comes out, he finds the old woman eating the oranges and really enjoying them. And he says, you seem to be really enjoying those oranges. And she says, oh, yes, my father is very good to me. And looking at her age, he said, your father can't still be alive, can he? She says, oh, he is. See, I was praying to my father in heaven. I've been seasick since we started this voyage. And I was praying that somehow 
he would bring me an orange to settle my stomach, and I must have just fallen asleep. But when I woke up, he had given me two. Yes, that man became a Christian. See, praying to God brings an answer. And here's the cool thing. Any individual can pray to God. Just like that tax collector in the gospel for God's forgiveness that comes through Jesus Christ. And receive an answer that yes, your sins are forgiven. And Jesus will give you a new life. And one thing I can always be praying for is the promise of God to be fulfilled. God's kingdom come. God's will be done on earth as it is in heaven. That God would give us our daily bread, which is the presence of Jesus himself, which he promised. I can pray for disciples to be made. For disciples to be baptized and for disciples to be taught. That's Jesus' promise. So baptisms are a sign of Jesus' Jesus' promise fulfilled to the church. And the first step of baptisms is a praying church. Now before we get to the next step, I wanna we're gonna have a little fun. We're gonna see some people in the wind. This first one's in Denmark. Kind of around the world, different places, no sound. Here's a man trying to set up his tent. There goes his bike and him. Those of us in Minnesota, no wind and ice. Is a bad combination. (laughs) I can't even cross the street. What was it like to receive the Holy Spirit? Acts 2, starting in verse 1, 1 through 4. says, When the day of Pentecost had arrived, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven 
and it filled the whole house where they were staying. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. And then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So baptism means the church is praying, and baptisms mean that the church is spirit-filled. Baptisms mean that the church is spirit-filled. They were there praying in unity of purpose until Pentecost came. The feast of Pentecost is the day of giving thanks for the harvest. And boy, what a harvest they were going to have that day. And it's described as something from heaven hit them with force. Luke is using the word, it was like. It wasn't actually wind, but it was like wind. It was the closest thing. We get a lot of this in the book of Revelation where John says, well, it was kind of like this. That's what he's saying here. It was like something from heaven hit them with force. It was like wind in that it compelled them to move. Because that word that they were all together in one place, it literally means they were all sitting down. They were all sitting and they all had to get up. They couldn't sit anymore. And they're seeing everyone. Lots of times when we see, show these pictures, artistic renditions of this, we see like little torches above people. But when the Bible, typically when it says fire from heaven, which is in this case, that's, that's, the, that's how they describe lightning. So they are seeing everyone as if they are being struck by lightning. And they are filled. They are fully enabled. This power picks them up, fills them up, and then it so fills them up that it has to come out. And it comes out of their mouths in speech. Hits them, goes in them, comes out of them. This is really, I'm going to talk, it's like, not psychology, uh, philosophy here. This is, you ever heard the word metaphysics? Metaphysics is something that is both spiritual and physical at the same time. And that's what I think Luke is trying to describe here. There is a reality of the soul and mind, a change that's happening inside this person that's not physical, and it's affecting the reality of their physical substance. God is so pushing them in their spirit that their body has to get up. God is so filling them with his power that they have to speak. Just as a strong wind forces people to move, so does the filling of the spirit of God. People have to move. People have to speak. And here's the cool thing. The promise of the filling of the Spirit is also for the individual. The person who prays that prayer in faith to God 
and makes the decision to be baptized as a follower of him, it has the promise to be filled with that power of the Holy Spirit. And Jesus promises that his whole church will be filled with the Spirit. It's something I can pray for. It's something that leads to disciples being made and disciples being baptized. But how do I know when I'm spirit-filled? Well, we know it's not described as a feeling. Well, I feel like I'm filled with the Spirit. There may be a feeling that goes along with it. I'm sure there is. But in this case, spirit-filling results in physical action that can be seen, that can be heard. I know I'm spirit-filled when I'm compelled to do what God wants. That's spirit-filling. See, baptisms are a sign of Jesus' promise, fulfilled to the church. The first step is a praying church. Well, actually, the first step is the promise of Jesus, and the second step is a praying church. And then this third step is a spirit-filled church. Now, this passage, I believe, is a description of what happened in the time, but it's not necessarily prescriptive. That doesn't, what I mean by that is every time a person or a church is filled with the Spirit, it doesn't mean it's going to happen exactly like we saw in Acts chapter 2. Every time someone gets filled with the Spirit or a church gets filled with the Spirit, we don't see everybody get struck as if with lightning. We don't hear a rush of wind necessarily every time. We don't hear people speaking in other languages every time. That's how it happened to them that time. But we can say that in every instance of spirit filling in Acts, the people are compelled to get up and speak. That happens every time. What happens when they are filled with the Spirit? Acts chapter 2, verse 4. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in different tongues, that's different languages, as the Spirit enabled them. And then jumping up to verse 22, is Peter begins to speak to the crowd. And he says, Fellow Israelites, listen to these words. This Jesus of Nazareth was a man attested to you by God with miracles, wonders, and signs that God did among you through him, just as you yourselves know. So he was delivered up according to God's determined plan and foreknowledge. You used lawless people to nail him to a cross and kill him. God raised him up, ending the pains of death, because it was not possible for him to be held by death. Verse 32, Peter says, God has raised this Jesus. We are all witnesses of this. Verse 36 Therefore, let all the house of Israel know with certainty that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, each of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 41 So those who accepted his message were baptized, 
And that day about 3,000 people were added to them. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. The last thing, baptisms happening means the church is speaking. It means the church is speaking. They have the promise. They've been praying. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit. They start to speak. All of them. Remember, it's not just Peter. We have Peter's words written down. But Peter and the other apostles were there. The women were there. Jesus' mom were there, was there. Jesus' brothers were there. It says they were all speaking. Peter just got his stuff written down. And what does Peter speak about? Peter, Peter speaks about Jesus. Who the hearers know. He says, you all know Jesus. He speaks about Jesus' life, what he did, the miracles he did. He speaks about Jesus' death, which they also know about, which many of them probably witnessed. And then he speaks about Jesus' resurrection and the plan of God. And after he tells them about Jesus, he speaks about what people have to do in the light of who Jesus is. Because of who Jesus is and what he did, repent and be baptized and receive the Holy Spirit. And 3,000 people are baptized as disciples. And they devote themselves to the apostles' teaching, to church fellowship, to the sacraments, and to prayer. They start the cycle all over again. Let's start praying church has to speak. You know, I realize as I've gotten older, my hearing is not what it was. Still pretty good. I can still hear music, but voices are more difficult. And maybe it's because there's more rumble of noise around my house now that I have little kids. But sometimes my daughters are trying to talk to me, but they're facing the other way, or walking down the hallway. Daddy, is what I hear. Or my wife is talking to me, but she's in the kitchen and I'm in the living room, and I have to come in there, and were you talking to me? See, I, I need people not to mumble, and preferably speak to me face to face. So I can actually hear. I can speak the gospel over and over. I do it every Sunday in this church. But a spirit-filled church clearly speaks the gospel to other people face to face. I could reach a thousand people with a tweet or something I put on Facebook. But the Spirit's going to move when I take somebody out to lunch and talk to them face to face. As Paul wrote in Romans and as we sang earlier, how beautiful are the feet of the one who brings good news. 
person who speaks good news, not just the person who brings good actions, not just the person that brings good feelings, the person that brings good words. Baptisms are a sign of Jesus' promise fulfilled to the church. It starts with the promise of Jesus and then goes to a praying church. The third step is a spirit-filled church. And then the first, fourth step is a speaking church. As I've talked to other Wesleyan pastors around the United States and even around the world, um, I found we're not the only congregation that doesn't have a permanent baptismal. Some churches don't have their own facility, and some like us didn't build their facility with a baptismal in mind. And so we've been online. I've talked to people. They say, well, what do you do for a baptismal? And, and so we, we trade stories, and I tell them what we did and different kinds of stuff. And I was very happy when we made a purchase and a plan to be able to baptize people at any time. You know, traditionally this church has gone over to Tanner Lake and baptized people, and that's great, except for when it's icy and cold and snowy outside. <laughs> and as we think about the building, you know, I got to talk to the, the sisters over at St. Paul's Monastery about the architecture of their building and, and the, the planning that they did for it. Everything from how the ceiling looks to the orientation of the building was planned out. For example, behind the cross and the altar in the back, there's windows. And behind those windows is the cemetery because they want to remember the sisters that have died before them and that they're still with them in heaven. I mean, everything, the architecture was planned out. And... As Christians, we expect to come together for worship, so we build a big room that we could all fit in. We expect to welcome children, so we prepare our nursery and our pre-k area and our children's space to be nice for kids. We expect to want to sit down, so we buy some chairs. We expect to have to go relieve ourselves, so we put in restrooms. We expect coffee, so we buy a Keurig. If we expect people to become baptized disciples, we need to have water to baptize them in. We need to be speaking, we need to be spirit-filled, and we need to be praying. Because we already have the command and the promise. The writer Robert Louis Stevenson, when he was a boy, he told his mother, Mama, you can't be good without praying. She said, how do you know, Robert? He said, because I've tried. (laughs) We also can't baptize people without praying. Two applications I have for us today. I can't I I can't speak about baptism without giving someone the opportunity to be baptized right now. 
I brought towels and t-shirts. If you want to be baptized today, you can. But something else happened to me this, actually two weeks ago. I was cleaning up the storeroom downstairs, straightening it out and making sure we could get to our Christmas decorations in a month or so. And usually when I'm doing a task like that, cleaning or whatever it is, I'm on the task. I'm not somebody who can, I've I've heard of people, oh, while I'm trimming the hedges, I'm also praying to God and going over verses and stuff. I'm single-minded. So when I'm cleaning, I'm cleaning. And when I'm praying, I'm praying. That's kind of how my brain works. I've got cells. (laughs) But I was in the stock room and, and I was cleaning stuff up and I had to organize some stuff so we could get in and out easier. And there are 35 sanctuary chairs downstairs in the storage room. And I had to move all those chairs to a different spot. And the Lord spoke to me there that those 35 chairs are not supposed to be down in the storeroom. Those 35 chairs belong up here. We're not supposed to have 35 chairs in the storeroom. We're supposed to be saying, we've got all our chairs out and we need some more. So in that day, I was able to move chairs and pray for 35 people. Because that's how many were missing. You have in your bulletin a post-it note. Take a look at that and grab a pencil or pen, whatever's around you. And I've got more post-it notes up here on this podium if you need more than one. What we are going to do today is you write the first name of somebody that you want to see baptized and become a following, a disciple of Jesus. And you write on this post-it note. In a few moments, we're going to sing a song and give you a chance to come up and pray for this person. And I want you to put their name here. And if you've got more than one name, put more than one name on there. We should have 35 names on there because we've got 35 seats to fill. I've got two more to put up there in a minute. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 14. God says, this command that I give you today is certainly not too difficult or beyond your reach. It's not in heaven so that you have to ask, who will go up to heaven and get it for us? And proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. And it's not across the sea so that you have to ask, who will cross the sea and get it for us? And proclaim it to us so that we may follow it. But the message is very near you. It's in your mouth.
and it's in your heart so that you may follow it. God, praise is rightfully yours, and our vow to you will be fulfilled. All humanity will come to you. You, the one who hears our prayers. Only you can atone for our sins and answer us in righteousness with your awe-inspiring works. You are the God of our salvation, the hope of all the ends of the earth and people who are distant. God's stream is filled with water, for you prepare the harvest of the earth.
Oh. 